Hello and welcome to the Real Film Podcast with me, Corey. And me, Phil. Hello. Hello, and today we are doing another episode of the review show. Um, actually, I've, I realised, I just kind of realised, I don't think I intro this ever, so I kind of no. forgot what we actually called it, but there you go. Um, <laughs> review show presented by Real, if we're using it's there you go. proper uh, There's the expert name. <laughs> um, yeah, so a few films on the agenda today. Uh, Bradley Cooper's Maestro, uh, All of Us Strangers, Poor Things, Rustin, American Fiction, Punch, which, you know, uh, is great, by the way. We'll get to that, though. Um, <laughs> the Zone of Interest, uh, Robot Dreams, and then we've got a little something in Real Rewind as well that Phil's going to take us through. Before we start, I mean, very clearly, there's quite a few films here, and they are all very oscar orientated and i think as many times me and phil have said that we're in the season of basically ripping our eyes out because we're trying to watch as many oscar films (laughs) as humanly possible because we're from the uk and we don't get all the fucking cool stuff um but yeah interestingly i don't know if you've got this phil but um i got an email from letterboxd and it was uh, a collaboration with mubi and it was like a invitation to watch perfect days the wim wenders japanese uh film uh oh, to go and watch that, that in london what the fuck did um, that? It, it is like a it's like a ballot thing so you obviously just put your email in and yeah uh see if i get tickets but that would be cool i haven't seen that yet so um yeah, yeah it'd be wish. nice to go and watch that i didn't get that um bastards you're obviously just not a you know as committed to the letterbox game as i am <laughs> clearly uh, just so you're aware, for this episode, we're going to make it a very spoiler-heavy podcast. Uh, a lot of the films, I think, are difficult to talk about without talking about subject matters that would be uh, spoilers. So if you haven't watched them, either skip the sections of the films you haven't watched or pause and go and listen to them. Like you should. You should be watching all these films anyway. Um, should we kick things off with Maestro? We know, uh, obviously, it was released last year and for on Netflix it came in December, I believe. Um, but as it's kind of an Oscar-orientated episode anyway, we might as well talk about it. Uh, directed by Bradley Cooper, starring Bradley Cooper, about um, the renowned um, conductor, um, Leonard Bernstein. So, Phil, what did you think? It's fine. Do you know what? I, when I originally watched it, I was a little bit um, more excited. Like I came out the other end, I was like, do you know what? That was better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, just over time... It's just waned quite a lot. Not to the point of me thinking it's a bad film in any respect, but I just think the things that I liked about it haven't stuck with me. And the weakness of the third act kind of stuck out a little bit. Um, How baity it becomes. And yeah, just in general, how kind of weak the ending kind of is. Um, And... It's one of those things where, like, I just don't think it really told you much about Leonard Bernstein's life, which isn't necessarily the worst thing. It's nice to have uh, a biographical film that's kind of about something else, which is about sort of the love with his wife and stuff. But I feel like it doesn't even get too deep into that. It kind of toes the line between trying to tell you about his life, but also not really getting into the sort of nitty gritty about, like, as you see some of what his life like the the darker aspects of his life especially like before that kind of 
big impressive performance you know he's hanging out with lots of young men and he's doing lots of drugs and he doesn't see his family but i just feel like it's quite fleeting um and not not that it makes it as i say it's not that it's bad i just think that it doesn't lean into it enough to make it great i think yeah i do agree with you because i feel like they do actually although it is sort of like a it is a biography of leonard bernstein I think even like in some of the marketing and stuff, they were sort of pitting it as more of like a romance and exploration of their marriage. And I think you're right. I think while it does show us like the ins and outs of the bad times and the good times and why in the end they felt like, you know, Leonard Bernstein obviously felt like his wife was his person and that whole third act of uh, that is, yeah, it is quite bait, but obviously we've... Um, uh, we've said before that Carrie Mulligan completely saves that. I do think you're mm-hmm. right in the sense that it doesn't quite explore sort of it, it kind of in passing does tell you what he's doing but it doesn't actually explore in depth I guess what it's doing to the people around him too much uh, mm-hmm. like there is obviously a large chunk of it where the happiness kind of turns to uh, Carrie Mulligan's character who's his wife um, her kind of disdain for the whole situation almost like embarrassment of the whole situation and there's like a little bit of a th- impact on like how it affects his relationship. Not even affects his relationship. Just there is that scene with his kid when she's like, "Oh, there's these rumors and stuff," but it's nothing ever really uh, materializes from it. But yeah, I think I think it's like a technical film. There are some really good stuff. There's some really great stuff in this. His performance, uh, that like sort of big performance that obviously people have focused on, is really good. Um, I do think it's shot really well, to be fair. Um, yeah. I think in in some aspects, it has the sort of like showiness and like performer aspect of his personality. But then in the more grounded sort of family stuff, you could, there's an argument, maybe I'm digging a little deep here, there's an argument to say that like, there's an almost like static nature to like how he is talking to his family. Uh, as though he's kind of like almost, not, he obviously, it, the whole point is that he loves his family very much. But I guess there's also a sense of like he's at his sort of like pinnacle of happiness when he's being like sort of creative, and in those like harder moments with his family, it's quite static in that. Um, mm. I may be looking a bit deep into that, but uh, I do think it's shot really well, and I think the performances are good. Um, I don't know who you want to talk about first, whether it be Carrie Mulligan or Bradley Cooper. Um, I think Carrie Mulligan is the star of the show, though, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you have to talk about Gary Mulligan first because she is brilliant in it and carries large portions of this film. Um, Particularly, you know, we reiterated this a couple of times. Without her, that third act, I think, would fall quite substantially uh, in a lot of people's opinions. Um, Yeah, I I thought that Bradley Cooper's bad in it. I think he's he's better when he's the younger version of Leonard Bernstein. I think there's there's a lot of someone's youthful um, excitement and energy to it, but in those later ones, he looks like a a candle that's melting. Um, Yeah, he's a bit mimicky, I think, at times. Um, Yeah. Don't don't get me wrong, he's still great in aspects. I do think there obviously is that whole thing of it being quite an Oscar bait movie as well. And I think the re- main reason for that is Bradley Cooper, yeah. not just performance, but him, his sort of like approach to the sort of 
uh, marketing and also how he lobbies himself in terms of the awards and stuff. It is kind of insufferable. And I know we've said that before. Um, I do like Bradley Cooper, but, you know, you can't just assume... You, like you said, that thing about The Star is Born, like apologising to everyone for not winning Best Picture. It's just like you can't just make two films and assume that you're like entitled <laughs> to this sort of awards. Like, he's absolutely gagging for an Oscar and it, it shows. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you, you're kind of he is still a talented director i won't i won't take that away from him maybe it's just about how he approaches everything after being the director <laughs> yeah i think so yeah i i don't know i yeah i don't know i i think it, i think the film has to say it's just kind of bit down in my estimations but it does have a, that really really great performance which i didn't realize is actually called resurrection symphony or, or okay. it's a, in nine seventy Leonard conducts Mahler's Resurrection Symphony in a legendary performance. I think that seems great, and I just think it's mm -hmm. calling it Resurrection Symphony is kind of uh, quite symbolic of him in that point in the story, isn't it? Because yeah, absolutely, yeah. his wife and he gets his life back and stuff. But which I didn't realize, which is quite nice. But um, yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to dwell on this film too much more because there's other stuff that we've seen that i think we both like a lot more yeah yeah of course um yeah i can't i can imagine we'll go a bit more into it maybe in the oscar podcast uh if it well it depends what how the oscars turn out if it does win anything i think yeah. we'll talk about it a lot more um yeah. but uh yeah i'll uh i'll move on to one that i've seen obviously you uh, you are yet to see but i know you want to see quite a lot yes. uh which is uh all of all of Us Strangers, uh, starring Paul Meskell, Andrew Scott, uh, Claire Foy, and Jamie Bell. It's directed by Andrew Hay, um, and is about a screenwriter who has just moved into a new apartment block and is starting to sort of... Mm, He's starting to reminisce on his home life um, of his parents who died when he was 12. Um, and he goes home to find his family home like all intact and his parents actually there. Um, and he ends up uh, obviously interacting with them a lot while also building this new relationship with his neighbour, Harry, who is Paul Meskell. Um, I thought this was wonderful. Um it's kind of a strange mix of high concept, but really down-to-earth drama. Um, and I'll say, okay, well, I won't dwell on it too much, obviously, because there's not much, uh, I don't want to spoil too much for you. But I will say this, this is a movie about grief, and it's a movie about loneliness. And Andrew Scott's character is uh, openly homosexual, but obviously at the time when his parents died, he was still figuring things out and they weren't aware fully. And what this film does is explores grief in a really unique way. And what it also did for me was teach me something that I otherwise wouldn't have, maybe I could get a gist of, but never I've never experienced it myself, which is that experience of someone growing up uh, as a... Um, as a closeted homosexual to then not be able to come out to the people that matter the most. Mm. And also that experience they have as children and stuff like that. Obviously that's not something that me or you are like we've experienced. So this actually movie actually taught me something. 
And I think the way it blends both of them, while also, I, while I think maybe some of the high concept stuff can get a little bit, it almost teeters on a bit too much near the end. I think it does just enough to be brilliant. Um, yeah, it, it it is it is heartbreaking. And I think Andrew Scott is wonderful. Paul Meskell is wonderful. The whole cast is wonderful. Um, yeah, it's a real standout for me uh, of last yeah. year. I mean, technically this year, because that's when I watched it. But um, <laughs> yeah, a real standout. I thought it was brilliant. I, it is definitely on my list to watch. And I know um, quite a few people that have recommended it to me now, saying that they think I really like it too. Um, it looks really, really good. And the cut, I mean, Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott together, is just that's just a killer duo too. I'm just excited to see. Yeah, they, they've got great chemistry, definitely. Um yeah, it's super interesting. It's sort of some elements at, at times sort of surreal, which is interesting as well. Yeah, that's um, really, really yeah, interesting. Brilliant. I'm looking forward to it. So next is something we briefly talked about in the sort of Oscar nomination reactions podcast we did, which is Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things, um, which is uh, that adaptation about... I didn't realize this now adaptation from the nineteen of like nineteen nineties. I didn't realize the book was that old. There you go. Yeah, I didn't um, until uh, yeah, yeah. But it follows um, a woman who a woman who commits suicide and is resurrected in a sort of Frankensteinian way by uh, a doctor, and then we kind of follow her as she, with her infant brain develops into a full adult um it is a very odd film as you might expect from any Anthony Moss film uh I think there's aspects of this that are absolutely brilliant and there's aspects that I'm not super high on but not enough to make me think it's still not a very great film I spoke in the that podcast about how I think the editing is brilliant, how I think the cinematography is brilliant. But I think the, I don't know how much we, I don't remember how much we spoke about the set pieces, but that's just one thing that keeps mm. sticking with me is how wonderful each individual set is. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the aspects I didn't like is how it, it dealt with uh, the first time that Bella sees poor people in Alexandria. I thought that was a bit melodramatic yeah. and over the top that kind of like she sees poor people and then she starts crying on the steps i was a little bit like like when she tries to go and help them it was kind of like I, I don't know it's just a bit bit much for me but the actual set of alexandria and the way that it kind of um makes not just this sort of like physical metaphorical and like literal divide between the rich and the poor but it is literally like the rich have built on top of the poor and are yeah. like literally using them to sort of prop up their affluent lifestyles, I think is really, really fascinating. Um, I know that's just one thing that's kind of like feels weird to like hone on in on straight away, but we spoke about it a lot before. And it was just one thing I felt like I kind of maybe hadn't really thought about thought about and, and, and sort of it's dwelt on my mind ever since we had that conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the, produ the production design is... Oh, I'll be, I, I loved every single aspect of this film. Like, I thought it was fucking great. Uh, it, 
Yorgos Lanthimos is such a unique director and I always <laughs> forget, weirdly, I always forget how unique he is until I watch one of his films. Um, I think production d- design-wise, it's brilliant. I think the CGI is bad, but for a good reason. Like, it suits <laughs> the film somehow. Um, I think it's all wonderful. I think that first initial uh, thing of Bella Baxter coming into and seeing Lisbon as well for the first time, just the sheer, like, colour and, like, vibrancy of that place is just astonishing. Um, and I think, to be fair, I think I think it's got, at its core, it's got, like, a super interesting story as well. Um, one that is just absurd and hilarious, but also has kind of a genuine meaning. And I think Bella Baxter's arc, from where she is at the beginning to the end, is really great. And I think she's quite becoming quite an iconic character, and so she should. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's strange, too, because it... Uh... The film obviously has the pilot. We we said this is spoiler friendly. So um, there's a strange thing of every conversation I have with someone about this film. People, almost everyone says that there's a bit where it feels like the film should end, which is the wedding. And then it continues on afterwards. But no one is ever annoyed about it continuing afterwards. You just think the film should end there. And then you have this thing afterwards that feels like it could be a whole film in of itself when she's in that house with the sort of like original body's husband, um, which is, I I thought that was really, really fascinating. The fact that like everyone's kind of like, oh yeah, it feels like it should end 20, 30 minutes before it does. But I wasn't mad about it. I just, I, I still enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, cause it's like sort of the whole film is sort of her about exploring the world and how people have impacts on each other. And especially as her being a woman, that kind of impact that she goes through throughout the film and the expectations that men have of her. Mm. And then that whole ending is almost like this new thing of her character exploring this life that not technically, like technically it's not a life she had, but also it is technically a life she's had. Mm. Uh, I think it kind of does weave well with the whole arc she's going through throughout the film, but it also feels quite separate. Um, And I think, yeah, you're right. It does feel like it's going to end at that wedding. And then... Uh, you get all this other stuff that's really good as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, big time, big time. It, I um, sorry, go on. I I was just saying. I think the ending sort of not shot, but like the ending scene is great as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. That, it's that, just brilliant. Yeah, the shot of the general, whoever he is, where he's been turned into yeah. a goat, is just yeah, it's, it's, it's so brilliant. funny. It's so funny. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a really interesting film. Um. It's one probably the only film I've ever watched in cinema in which someone has uh, whooped and applauded sections. So there was a woman who was sat on my row, and any time and Bella Baxter said something that was like really, really like pro-feminism, especially that bit where yeah. she's walking with uh, Max when they're deciding to get married, there's a couple of things she says about, like, um, I can't remember exactly what the lines are, but, like, sort of, like, uh, how she can make her own decisions and, and like, how uh, he's okay with the fact that she used to work as yeah. a prostitute and that sort of stuff. And, like, she was openly applauding and, and going, woo, yeah, at certain things, which was really strange. Um <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like it's not 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 that it's strange that she agreed with it. It's just strange to see it in a British cinema. Yep, 
British people you don't usually react. Yeah, we don't do that, do we? No. Um, uh, I mean, it's rare to get people to laugh at a funny film, let alone... Like, that that's the kind yeah, of thing that you'd expect to see in an American cinema, I think, but... Yeah, British people are mostly dead inside, so we are... Yeah, exactly, kind of yeah, we're emotion- the... emotionless husks, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I th- I, that is great, though, it's quite fun. Um, no, I think, I think it was brilliant. I thought Emma Stone is brilliant, and she has to go through a lot in that film, obviously. Oh, yeah. A lot of yeah. Bella Baxter's story comes from a sort of sexual awakening. Um, and I think, obviously, Emma Stone is put through a lot of uh, scenes in that film. I'm sure many actresses wouldn't want to be put through, but she <laughs> she's brilliant. Um, and I like the supporting roles as well. I th- but like I know we spoke about this in the Oscar like reaction thing. I won't go too much into it, but uh, yeah, like Willem Dafoe, and then obviously Mark Ruffalo is quite really camp, and it's really fun to see Mark Ruffalo do something a bit interesting again. Uh, yeah. I think he's a great actor, so it's nice to see. Um, now I thought it was a complete package. I thought this film was brilliant. It was wholly unique and. Yeah, I, one of my favourites from last year, I think. Uh, next one. Uh, again, this is uh, just me. I know you're hearing a lot of my voice this podcast, but I promise well, you'll get your... You, you'll We'll release a special episode where like Phil just talks to you for an hour. Uh, and just get me talk so. about Cinderella again. <laughs> I, honestly, I still think that like, that's Cinderella. Uh, if you want to listen to me talk, listen to that. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is Rustin. Uh, again kind of oscar I suppose. I'm in that zone right now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Rustin, starring Coleman Domingo as uh, Bayard Rustin, who was a civil rights... Um, he wasn't civil rights leader. He was very much involved in the, his... He was very much involved with Martin Luther King um, until actually his... Um, so he was also a homosexual and he... Uh, he actually got like sort of I, I can't remember what the association is called that sort of handled all the civil rights stuff, but um, he essentially kind of kind of got like barred from that or like doing any of that kind of association with that because of his personal lifestyle. Um, and then it's about how the key role he played in the Washington March, where obviously uh, Martin Luther King made the famous speech, "I had a dream," um, which I didn't. I mean. Again, American history, I'm a bit blurry on. But um, I actually didn't realise that was the march that he did that speech from. I always thought it was the one to... Uh, the one that... You know the film Selma? Um, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Mar- that, that, I thought it was that one he did it at, but no, it was this one. Which is like still like the biggest march... Um, biggest organised march in like history. It's like 250,000 people or something like that. That's crazy. Um, crazy. So he's a super interesting guy, and it's a biopic that I'm surprised we've not seen seen yet. Um, It's directed by uh, George C. Wolfe, and it's got quite a few stars in it. Chris Rock's in it, Jeffrey Wright's in it. Um, Actually, the guy who plays Martin Luther King as well is a British guy. He was in, do you remember those films from like early 2010s, early uh, late noughties that were like kiddulthood and adulthood? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's in one of those, but he, he's really good. Um, it's super interesting. I think the film is slightly, I think with a lot of biopics, it does follow that sort of uh, formula of a biopic. Mm. But I think if the story is interesting enough, and this guy is really interesting because there's multiple things that are like um, affecting his life. Things like he's in a relationship with uh, a married man at some point, and then also his sort of 
his sort of belief to be like love who you want also kind of means that he leaves people closest to him behind because he's always sort of uh very open with new people uh and also there's some really interesting like at, at its best this film also like explores the thing of like these sort of uh for a, like a group of people who are fighting you know oppression so hard mm. why is there an aspect of his life that is oppressed by these people if that makes sense um, and I think that's a really interesting dynamic that the film does explore. Um, I really liked it. Um, I think, obviously, most people will have known this film through Coleman Domingo's Oscar nomination and all those yeah. award nominations. He's great. He's really good. Um, it's, it's. No, I wouldn't say it's the best performance I've seen him in because, to be honest, he is. He has always obviously had that sort of supporting actor. Um, career and it's really nice to see him in a lead, lead role where he can really like spread his wings and like really be brilliant um, but yeah it's it's a solid biopic that maybe doesn't go like isn't up there with some of the best political biopics ever but it definitely isn't it's it's definitely like a step above mediocre I'd say that's good that's good considering that we're in a bit of a period of what feels like a million biopics every year it's nice to yeah. have ones that step above the rest, especially ones that are important stories too. I, I know that kind of every biopic makes it seem like their story is the most important story that's ever been told. Um, but it sounds like this think... one is worthy of it. And it, I'm glad that it's good because the, the worst thing you can get is a, is, a, is a film that is a worthy story to be told that has been made well. Yeah, it's true. And I think because we're in a world now where like music biopics are the thing, um, it's hard to care about some of those. Uh, don't get me wrong, there are obviously some biopics. Like, uh, I know the, this is a bit off topic, but we obviously watched the Aretha Franklin one, Respect, a few years ago. Yeah. I think that one's super interesting because Aretha Franklin has been through a lot in her life. Um, I just think some they're all a bit by the numbers. Now, there is always a formula of biopics, and while Rustin does fall into it, I think, especially in sort of like, just the way the tell aspects, the way it's made, the, sh the way it's shot, the cinematography and stuff, and the way the story's told, it is a bit formulaic and there's nothing really special about it. But I think it's an interesting story and I think the performances do uh, sort of do merit people watching this and especially the subject because he's... I didn't know who he was and I'm really glad I do now. That's good. I, it's definitely on my list. I, it's, I, I'm in full swing of catching up with all the Oscar films before the Oscars. So I feel like post Oscar podcast will probably um we'll probably be talking about a few of these and I don't know maybe may, do do you think it's in I know that you didn't say in the actual um uh, podcast itself in the nomination podcast because you hadn't seen it at that point do you think it's in with a chance or do you think it's no I think to be honest as we get closer to it I think that award is either between Paul Giamatti and Killian Murphy yeah. Uh, but I will say that it's it's definitely worthy of a nomination, and Good. it's better than other nominations of the same year. That was aimed at Bradley Cooper. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about American Fiction then, which is the directorial debut by Cord Jefferson, um, starring Jeffrey Wright. Tracy Ellis Ross, um, and 
just a lot of people to be fair i could list off the names but there's a lot of people in it and i think everyone's very very good um one of my first exposures to this film was you telling me that Stellan K. Brown was nominated for this, but you were like, his performance is really good, but you think other people should have been nominated uh, yes, instead yeah. of him. Which, after seeing the film, I can completely understand. I still think he's great in it, but I mm. do get it. I think he has a couple of sort of monologue scenes that are probably the reason he got the nomination, uh, particularly the one at the end. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's not to say his performance is bad at all, but this is the story of um, a writer living in Los Angeles. He receives really well sort of academic praise, but uh, doesn't make like tons of money. So he sort of works as a um, professor uh, alongside it, <clears throat> uh, and then are his sister is sadly lost and then his mother develops alzheimer's so this kind of mounting bills and he has this sort of he's trying to sell this novel um called echo but no one's picking up so he gets drunk and he writes um my pathology with an f uh as a sort of satirical middle finger to uh this whole sort of like push for urban black stories i think is what they call it in there particularly the there's that woman who writes Sintara, who writes uh we lives in the in the ghetto that does really really well but it's kind of like this stereotype of um what black people in america are like um do you know what is one thing i really didn't expect for this film though is how funny it is is really 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 funny um i think jeffrey wright does a great job of carrying this film because he's in just about every single scene i think if he didn't work if he didn't work in his lead role i don't think this film would work as a whole um it's got us quite a few nominations the best picture i think wright got nominated for best actor and then obviously sterling k brown best supporting um i think as a directorial debut i think called jefferson should be extremely proud of what he's made it's a great way to talk about all these issues obviously you and i can't uh attest to at all the struggle of being a black american yeah of course yeah in the 21st century but it's not in a way i've i've had friends who have told me about how they they want to see more films about black people that aren't about black tragedy because it just seems like you got all these stories that are only about the horrors that black people have to go through and i wonder if if this is kind of filling in that niche a little bit there are obviously tougher issues it talks about but it does it in such an entertaining way and it pokes fun at literally everyone um especially there is so many little jabs at like the sort of white liberal people who are trying to be progressive there's that there's that scene in particular when they're on that literary trying to decide on like that literary award and the two black people in the conversation are the one saying we shouldn't do this book which is the book he's written um uh saying no it's trash let's not do it 
and then the three white people are like, no, it's great. It's highlighting all these blah, 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 blah. And they're just not <laughs> listening to them at all. I think it's so funny. I think maybe that's one of the things that pull it back from maybe being like a five-star classic is how on the nose some of it is. But I think how on yeah. the nose is why it's funny. So you kind of like, you have that sort of push and pull of, um, of that. But I think it's great. And you know, it, when I was looking up what else called Jefferson had done, he had done, I think it was like story editor and producer or something for hmm. a bunch of stuff, uh, including Master of None. And there's other things he's done that I've seen, but it's Master of None that I thought is quite interesting because I think tonally in terms of talking about difficult issues but being really, really funny and grounded at the same time, it makes sense. Yeah. I think they kind of you can see where he he's kind of developed from there um i've rambled a little bit there but i think it's great i think it's so fun it's so entertaining um yeah and i'm hope i'm hoping more people see it because i think it's done well but it hasn't done like brilliantly and i think a lot of a lot more people would enjoy this than what they would expect absolutely i, I really liked it too and i think what you're saying about it is sort of being on the nose it's kind of like it's interesting that in the film, his like middle finger uh, satirical jab, at sort of like what uh, audiences are looking for in their in their books. He obviously calls it my pathology, and there's an even bigger middle finger. He changes the title to fuck. Yeah, <laughs> and it ends up becoming uh, yeah. I think uh, yeah. I I really what I really liked as well is it was it managed to have all these like sort of discussions uh, about or like how it's become like commercial to sell this story and stuff and like little jabs that like i think at one point he's watching the film menace to society yeah, yeah um yeah. which is quite a famous um quite a famous film in america and like that kind of goes with it as well and then but also how well it blends all the family stuff like his struggle that he feels like he's turning into his father slowly uh mm. this new relationship that he has and then all the stuff with his mom and his sister and his brother I think it's really good um and like going back to sterling k brown because i know i didn't want to like ruin too much for you and just said you know he's, <laughs> you understand it's a vet his performance is very like noticeable isn't it because of the character what the character's like but i think yeah. sterling k brown still handles every scene he does with a sort of urgency and then this sort of like delicacy that he does need a hint of uh even though yeah. the character isn't as delicate as probably most people are um but i think jeffrey wright's brilliant in this i love watching jeffrey wright he's one of my favorite actors i yeah, just he's think so he's just so charismatic and he can just carry any scene i just think he's wonderful um yeah. but no i thought i thought for the kind of film it was and although it's not light-hearted although and i think but tonally i think it becomes very like easy to watch mm. um like with the, again with the humor and stuff like that but it still manages to condense a lot of interesting topics and a lot yeah, of heavy, heavier storylines about uh, like what his family goes through, all this loss that his family's dealing with, and Alzheimer's, and then obviously all the stuff, the bigger conversations with his writing. It's a really well balanced uh, screenplay, I think. Um, no, I thought it was, I thought it was great, uh, and I'm really glad I got to watch it. Same. I, I think it's interesting as well. Just. It, it... I didn't realize it would end up being so meta as well. Not least at the ending, yeah. which I'll get to in a second, but the middle section when he's starting to write my pathology, 
um, for the first time and you have those two guys who become the characters on the screen and then he has the conversations with them as he's kind of figuring out the story uh, I think is really great and really entertaining and he's like they're like some of the characters are almost like fighting back against some of the stereotypes but he's yeah. kind of like no this is how it's got to be you know this is this is the stupid shit that I'm writing um I do, I do th- I think normally when you have something that gets so meta like that especially the ending I think it can be a little bit um I think there's the danger of getting a little bit up its own arse I don't think this does yeah. it at all I think the ending's a little bit jarring like it it kind of just comes completely out of nowhere uh, where it kind mm. of you realize that he's now making it into the film and they're trying to write a more satisfying film ending it's a bit um, like um, I made the comparison when I watched it. It's a little bit like Little Women, isn't it? Great girl with yeah. Little Women. Yeah. Um, yeah. It sort of is that kind of ending where it's you are right, just verge on being a bit uh, I don't know, yeah, being a bit pretentious that ending. But I think it's handled as well as Great Girl with handles the ending of Little Women. I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's done I, for I, a, it's done for a reason, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, that's yeah. That's what I was going to say is that it feels yeah, uh, like it feels like it should that's the way it should end and it's really funny too um yeah i get because it kind of like you have this thing of like obviously the discussion about race and you've got this fucking prick of a hollywood producer and then he comes up with this like super sort of almost cheesy over the top um in your face just like the book ending talking about uh race relations with um... police What's the film that he's about to start shooting, the producer? Because obviously he comes in, he's like, I'm the one who makes... Well, they say that he's like this producer who makes all the oscar Bay yeah, movies. Yeah. I don't remember. I was creasing I, at this name. Plantation Annihilation. Oh, my God. And just like how earnest he is about talking about it. And I'm oh like, oh, my God. God. So... <laughs> yeah. Oh, That's God. So no, but it, I, I think it just works so well. Like like when the first time they had they have that conversation... And Jeffrey Wright's trying to sort of pretend to be this like streetwise yeah. guy, and then he sees yeah. the the ambulance and he thinks his mum is her, and, th- and then the producer's like, "No, I loved it. You know, he ran at the first sign of uh, <laughs> uh, the police sirens. It's like, oh yeah. my god, it's so funny. Yeah. It's great. No, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. So moving on to the next film, which uh, is also technically from 2023, but um, is a indie horror film. Uh, called Punch, which is set in... A, well, I think the film is set in a sort of nameless English uh, seaside town. Uh, but the reason I watch this is because it is filmed in Hastings, where my girlfriend is from, uh, and it was kind of like a big buzz around her family, and we thought, fuck it, let's watch it, and just kind of with no expectations being like, let's watch this and just enjoy the fact that we can, we recognise where it's all been shot. And that's kind of all it was, really, because I don't think the film's very good. <laughs> um, it is an interesting... Uh, I think the director, um, Andy Edwards, um, and he, apparently he's been quoted as saying that while the horror genre sort of has... I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but um, while there's a horror genre, people has like people like Michael Myers and uh, Freddy Krueger and stuff like that, that Britain doesn't really have one like that. And this is what he wanted to create with Mr. Punch, which is um, a guy with a Punch and Judy mask on. Um, really? Who is like this myth in this town that um, he comes out and kills 
kids that don't behave or something like that. I don't know. Right. Uh, and then there's this central character. Um, her, she's just come back from uni. She's in uni in Loughborough, where I'm from. Woo. That's um, weird that it's Sean Hastings and you have that connection to <laughs> yeah, so, How bizarre. Yeah, yeah. In reality, it's kind of like the perfect film for me and my girlfriend. But, it's, um, but yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> but she, she's back from uni and her mum's quite... Uh, it's very clear that her mum is sort of in this relationship that the daughter doesn't approve of because in the past her mum's been in quite like horrible relationships before with quite abusive people. Um uh, she kind of over across the course of like one night sort of goes out, reconnects with people, uh with old friends and stuff, and then this Mr. Punch is kind of killing people and then he seems to be after her. Um and that's kind of it, really. And then there's this big twist as to like who miss I'm gonna spoil it because let's be honest. I um, I've got, uh, I'm never gonna watch it. <laughs> I was gonna say you're never gonna watch this. So it turns out in the end, so like Mr. Punch, that the basically it's become like a town thing where all like the older people in the town pick someone. It's like almost like culty where like they pick someone to be Mr. Punch for the year, and they pick a target and they have to like kill like young people. Is this a hot fuzz uh, sequel? It kind of it, honestly, like, <laughs> like hot fuzz vibes, uh, like student yeah. film hot fuzz vibes. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I didn't think it was worth mentioning too long. I just thought that's a kind of non oscary one, which is a shame, you know, best picture potential. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> um, I think it was, uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's like an hour and 20 odd minutes. I mean, you might as well. But it was more I fun because I, I knew the place that it was uh, filmed. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. other people may not find it as fun as me and apparently just the mention of Loughborough in a film got me excited excites you yeah yeah it's, <laughs> it is a bit strange that I feel like if, if you're able to go oh that sounds like a film like Hot Fuzz that Hot Fuzz is a satire you shouldn't be yeah. able to compare it to a satire that is taking the piss out of your genre I think um, yeah I, I think, think core not, concept I... yeah core concept is a little bit like Hot Fuzz, but without like the action side, it's kind of yeah. like if Halloween and Hot Fuzz had a really uh, cheap bad baby, cheap baby. <laughs> yeah, that's like bad baby, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I, I was gonna say I'm, I'm probably never gonna watch it. Um, it doesn't look very good. But I don't know. Maybe for the no, sake, yeah. I've been to Hastings a few I, times. So it's more, it's more of the thing of like I appreciate the fact that it probably was made with not much money, and also you know, yeah. That's about it. Really. I, don't, I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind watching a, a, a cheap short film sometimes. You know, sometimes you just want to fill sometimes. that fill that gap. You know, sometimes. Maybe yeah, wait maybe, till Halloween. Yeah, I was gonna say Halloween when we're trying to watch films that we've never watched before. I don't know. That's I watched those. Um, um, I can't think what they were called. Something Jack, in the name. I watched two of them. They were two of the worst films I've ever watched in my life. So, um, is this the ones that your dad was saying were his? No, that's the wrong term. My dad has watched every. Oh, the wrong, wrong turn. Thing. Yes, right. Yeah, and he sorry. thinks they are like genius, and they're like reinventing horror and stuff. And it's like I, I've seen two of them, and or three of them maybe, and they're like the most cliche things you can imagine. Um, <laughs> anyway, so why don't we take it back to the Oscars for our last two sort of um, current films for the real rewind? Um, should we talk about a zone of interest for a bit? The yes. zone of interest, which I the don't think of either interest. of us, 
neither of us had watched it when we did the Oscar nom pod, did we? No, I don't think we did, no. We were both very interested in watching it, partially because it's uh, directed by Jonathan Glazer, who I think is an incredibly interesting director. I think it was, is his last film Under the Skin before this one? I think it was, yeah. Which is a few years ago now, and I think it's a super interesting film. Um, it's a, The Zone of Interest is a tough film. Uh, it's, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's set in like 1943, follows Rudolf Hoss, who's the commandant of the Auschwitz concentration camp. So he sort of leads it and he sort of it is well known for making it run extremely efficiently, which is obviously just about one of the most horrifying things you can describe about a person. Yeah. Um, and his family who, you know, he's got a few, uh, five kids, I think, and his wife live in this almost like a paradise of a home uh, at the edge of the camp where they have literally the camp walls, you know, next to them. Um, Christ, this film is harrowing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's like, the perfect word for it, isn't it? There's just... The, not not a whole lot happens. The, the story's really simple. It's just them living there and then Hoss finding out that he's being relocated to... Oranienburg, uh, I think is how you pronounce it. It's near... Um, right. Uh, to become deputy inspector of all the concentration camps, uh, uh, particularly to sort of task, uh, head up an operation to move hundreds of thousands of Hungarian Jews uh, to Auschwitz from all over Hungary. Um, and then sort of his wife staying in Auschwitz because that's where she's kind of made this, her life. And christ there's things in this that are like i I, th- I think i saw one review that said something about how they had never considered how uh in the midst of what was the phrase they used in the midst of uh righteous genocide children could be raised in a normal setting and yeah. have a normal childhood and that's some of the things i think you'd said to me after you'd watched it about how there's things like the shot of them having other families around and they're all playing in the pool and then you can just see the smoke of one of the trains coming into our yeah. and that sort of stuff is is just yeah that's i as i said i don't think there's anything else you can say other than it's absolutely harrowing um there's some really interesting editing choices in this that i'm not entirely sure i've completely got my head around there's a couple of long sections of darkness and this is long fade to red that has a really sharp jarring cut um that i think is super interesting i mean if you'd watched under the skin you'll know that he's a he's got a very very interesting eye for editing anyway um and then towards the end i think one of the most sort of uh, affecting cuts is when Hoss is leaving his Berlin office and he sort of looks down the hallway as if he's trying to see if he's being watched and then you see people opening up the uh, museum at Auschwitz-Birkenau in modern day uh, they sort of just do the sort of standard yeah. cleaning and stuff like that and then it just jumps back to him and he just walks off it's a very very good film it's a difficult watch. Um, I don't know. It's one of those where it, it's kind of crazy that... I I, th- I think it was even Jonathan Glazer who said himself that it's like these sorts of films still need to be made because you need to remind people, especially in this day and age, there's some 
truly horrific things still going on we need to be reminded that how horrific these things are we can't let them just be forgotten to time uh, and it's i think it's remarkable how you can make such an affecting story despite knowing all of the details everyone knows all of the details now um yeah i mean i there's there's two sequences in particular that made me sort of like have a physical reaction to what i was watching if you don't mind me just sort of rambling for a tiny bit longer no no go, go for it there was two in particular. The first one was when he's fly fishing in the river and then he realises the ashes have been dumped in the river. And obviously that bit in itself is, is horrible, but it's when he gets back and he blows his nose in the sink and ash comes out of his nose. Yeah, and, it's yeah. just, and they're sort of cleaning the kids and it's just like, it's... oh, it, That, and then it's when he has the... When you have those... It, there's that bit when the guys come over and they're kind of talking about how to make the gas chambers more effective, how they can have them running essentially 24-7, and, like, how proud and stuff they sound. It's kind of like... I don't know why I had never really thought about those conversations, because obviously those conversations would ha would have happened, and you would imagine they happened in a similar way to, to how it's presented on the film, because of it was obviously ruthlessly effective, what they were doing. They they would have had to have thought about it the way they did, um, I, yeah. It's yeah. I I only watched it yesterday, but I think it's going to be a film that sticks with me for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I agree with everything you just said, but uh, I will add to the things that I will say. That scene in the river where obviously he's fly fishing and uh, like realised that is, yeah, really just stick with you. I think that for me as well, the little things in some of the dialogue because uh, again it's quite limited in that isn't it it is yeah, essentially yeah. I think I said to you I sort of you almost sort of like almost like feel like it's a they're documenting sort of how this family lives while that's on the backdrop yeah uh, but it's it's some subtle dialogue where she refers to herself as the queen of Auschwitz oh my like God, when she's yeah. just casually talking to her mother and it's oh it's horrendous like the just the sheer sort of like um casualness that she says that with yeah. um and things she says something to uh one of her servants as well which is like she's basically her mother's left or something hasn't she yes yeah, so i know the scene you're talking about yeah so her mum's left she comes down for breakfast and and the jewish girl who have in their house who's ba yeah just basically a servant has left her mother's plate out for breakfast and yes, she says yeah. something about like, are you are you trying to um, uh, make a mockery of me? And then says that you know my husband could spread your ashes. And then says I can't remember where she says it is, but she basically yeah just says that my husband will spread your ashes in this place. Yeah, which is just it's horrible, isn't it? Fucking brutal. Yeah. I think there was a question as well when we reacted to the Oscar noms that why it was nominated for best sound. And now it yeah, makes sense. Like it absolutely. Makes sense now, big time. Yeah, really. Just, just that like constant I mean, gunshots and screams is just Yeah, I think I God. think the screams are just are like awful. Like it's horrid. Like this little paradise they've built for themselves and just literally what, like ten ten foot over this wall is yeah. like just these like screams of like genocide. It is awful. And I, I like what you said about what the director said and that you need to remind people. And it's interesting that you may think you've watched every film possible about World War II or Auschwitz or the Holocaust. Zone of Interest will prove you wrong because yeah, big time. 
fuck me is it does it sort of just like it just breaks you at times and yeah um yeah i think i read something interesting actually i think it was a it was a review that said um that the bit at the ending showing the auschwitz uh, sort of museum the holocaust museum was almost like they described it as jonathan glazer almost uh what's the term it's like they said he wasn't, he was being so brave throughout the film and then he kind of like cowarded to then like show us this. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, the show, the film is about a real thing. And if he wants to show that, and even like you said with the editing and stuff, like interestingly weaving that with uh, how the, that commander uh, is like looking down the uh, hallway, I think that's even well, I better. Think it's, I think it's so. It's fair. like, so, it, yeah, it, it, I, I think the way that it kind of he's kind of like looking into the future because there's, there's that whole thing of like I feel like it's a, he's doing a look to as if he's being watched, and then you have this thing that shows yeah, that yeah, he's never go, what he's done is never going to be forgotten, you know. I th- yeah, no, I, I, I don't yeah. know what they're talking. They're an idiot. But I was going to say one last thing I'd like to say in this film before we yeah, move on yeah. is just that I. I really appreciate it. You have to be patient with it. It's a very slow film. You have to be very patient with it. But I really appreciate mm. how uh, the film treats its audience as being really intelligent. Like, you don't need to see everything that's going yeah. on. Something like a simple smoke over there. You don't, you aren't told that's a train entering Auschwitz, but we all know what it is and we all know what who is in on the train. And then the ash coming down, again, you're not told what but you know what's happening uh and then simple things like when he has the girl enter his room you don't see anything but you just see him yeah um washing his genitals afterwards you know exactly what's happened there and you know how vile and disgusting it is and there's almost something more powerful about showing how vile and disgusting it is by just leaving up like it's kind of like I don't even need to show you what he's doing or what they're doing, or what these things are, for you to understand how awful it really is. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think sometimes yeah, it's really absolutely. nice. Sometimes you don't need a, a film to treat you as intelligent for it to to be impactful, but sometimes I think not showing and and sort of leaving it up for you to fill in the blanks is is an extremely effective way to get your message across. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it is just, it is, like you said, it's harrowing. Um, and it is, you do have to be patient with it. But the, the I mean, the film also trusts you as an audience member. And I think this is worth watching. Yeah. Even if you only watch it once. I'm never watching watch again. It because it's incredibly important. <laughs> it's too much. No, no. Um, it is incredibly important. It's impeccably made. And yeah, like we said about the sound thing, it makes so much sense why it is nominated because it plays such like an important factor in the horror yeah, essentially time. of this big film. Time. Do you think now now you've watched it, do you think it could realistically win anything? Uh I think we've said uh, like yeah, in yeah, general, just general like awards. Season, do you think I think I it will definitely I not definitely, but I think it will win best yeah, international. I, I can see that. Uh, especially if it's not up against an Asmi before. Um and I hope so. I think it's great. And yeah, it's I, I it's it nominated will. for nine BAFTAs. So I think it's and because Jonathan, yeah, it's interesting. I think it, I it, think it could uh, be well. Yeah, you know, we were saying before it's the is it the British nomination for best international feature at the Oscars? Because it, it it's a it's a yeah co-production between 
um, uh, United Kingdom and Poland. So I didn't know if it ended up being the Polish nomination. Mm. I don't know what the sort of more swaying is there, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know where the sort of authorship lands with it in terms of production. I, I know that like director does play a big part, so I think it is technically under. And I think it will probably film. win quite a few. Um, I'll probably I do quite well like, at yeah. the BAFTAs because it's a British director. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see yeah. where we're going to be in a month or two after all the awards are wrapped up um, and and see how well it's done. But yeah, yeah uh, so why don't we move? we got one more uh, current up-to-date film before we did a little rewind um, that you've seen. Yeah, so me again. Uh, yeah, I know, I'm talking a lot in this podcast. I apologise, guys. Um uh, yeah, so uh, another Oscar-y film, I guess, uh, nomination for Best Animation is the uh, film Robot Dreams. Um, it's uh, There's no dialogue. Uh, it's basically a silent film. It was not a silent film, but uh, yeah, there's no dialogue. Um, and it's about a dog. And it's like... It, the way I describe the world is a, a mixture, like visually... Like the regular show slash Bojack Horseman. God, we've shifted tonally, um, haven't we? <laughs> I know that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, it's about a dog who is lonely. He sees an advert for like a robot on TV who can be your friend. Um, and he purchases it. They become friends. They go to the beach and the robot ends up becoming like rusted and stuttered like and can't move and the mm. dog isn't strong enough to lift it um so he ends up having to leave the robot and then it the beach closes for the winter so he basically ends up leaving the robot there for a long time and um it's kind of basically about how both of them are kind of like dreaming of seeing each other again while also then having to like live their life with what's happening in reality um i'll tell you what the comparison was i read somewhere and it's kind of it's kind of perfect is it's a cross between past lives and bojack horseman oh my god so it's directed by a guy called pablo berger mm-hmm. who is he's made some uh he's been made, made some well-known films but um it's so t- i think technically it's a spanish production but it is set in new york city and the film is the film is really 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 good i liked it a lot uh it's very simple in its themes uh and i think the story is like super entertaining as animation goes it's super entertaining and accessible and stuff and the dreaming aspect of it really hits home sort of the loneliness of both characters in the end um and also kind of a little bit um how mean people can be as well Hmm. um there's not much to say more about the film i think it's really interesting it's nice to watch i kind of felt like outside of sort of the big studios animation wise i unless sort of for some reason it's piqued my interest like oscar wise or something like that or it's had a lot of um audience like it's had a lot of people uh recommend recommended it i don't i tend not to watch animation films outside of the big studios so it's actually really nice to watch one that's feels unique in that sense mm. and uh and like i said even though it's simple it's really good i think the ending is fantastic um and yeah it's just about you know two people who are very lonely who found each other and then are unable to connect again or are attempting to reconnect again um 
it's just how we try and fill our lives with especially through like in loneliness how we try and fill our lives with a bit of like companionship and it's it's really sweet um and there's not much else to say about it it's worth a watch and while i don't think this uh, coming awards uh this coming oscar um show it will win anything it's sort of nice that the oscar nomination is going to bring an audience to this film i do you know i thought the same last year with marcel the show with shoes on but i don't know how many people would have seen it if it hadn't been nominated it didn't really have much of a chance of winning but that didn't stop me i i knew of it because of the oscars and i think quite a lot of other people did so it's sometimes winning isn't everything i think nominations in of themselves bring so much uh notice for a lot of films that would otherwise just go under the radar uh, yeah yeah no it yeah, i mean though. yeah it is i mean like just for example i mean uh i will we will move on to real rewind but just as an example how the dreams play into it the film kind of nods to a lot of different films and is very obviously very kind of like an ode to like the classic stuff like wizard of oz plays quite a big <laughs> role in this um and then there's like other bits that are quite like sad when the robot's on the beach and he notices like he kind of daydreams he sees this boat out in the sea and then it comes and then they kind of like fix him and they give him some oil and he's all good and then it cuts to them trying to like hack his metal leg off so they can like plug <laughs> a hole in their boat and it's quite it, it is quite sad but uh it, you know it's quite like heartwarming i guess and it isn't even though it's quite sad and loneliness plays a key part in this film i think there's a optimistic side so mm. i think it doesn't quite like i think the and i think the animation's really good in it as well it's good that's good shall we move on to the real rewind then yeah baby there you go. That was the funny, more like Tarzan. The that was Tarzan. yeah. I don't know what. Yeah, that doesn't sound anything like our soundbite. Anyway, uh, I think it's just me today, which is fine. Um, I know everyone loves hearing my voice, so I'm going to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to talk about two films very briefly. About one, it's just a short film. The reason I'm going to talk about them together is that you had actually bought me um, this set of two films by. Um, a Senegalese director, his very two mm. very first films. So this two part was um it's part of the, I think it's called the World Cinema Fund or something like that that goes out to find world cinema, like underrepresented world cinema and sort of bring it back and restore it. Uh the first one is Borum Surat, which is an eighteen minute short film. It's the first film in which the director, Usman Somben, had full control over. So it's like the first one that he properly and it's sort of credited as being his first film anyway. Um it's sort of been hailed as one of the first um, professional African films as well. I think for a while it was called the first professional African film, but I think that's been contended since then. This is made in 1963, and there's been some stuff from the 50s that I think was classed as professional. But it's um, about a a poor man who uh, lives as a cart driver in Dakar, and basically just gives people lifts around the outskirts of Dakar. He's not allowed to go into the city itself um, with his car in a horse and carriage. Um, the subtitles call him The Wagoner. I think the film is called The Wagoner. So I think Borom Sarat is kind of 
is uh, the Senegalese way of calling them the Wagner, at least car driver, something to that effect. Um, it's a very, very bleak film, especially for 18 minutes long. It squeezes in a lot of bleak story, but it's really, really interesting. And the way it talks about uh, race divide in a city like that, where you have the rich white French people in the center, and then you have... Um, the people who are native to this country on the outside struggling to make it like he tries to help people where he can there's an old woman who needs daily lifts in the morning where he gives her and she always hops off without paying him so he's trying to make ends meet he takes a guy who's holding the body of his dead child like toddler sized child um to the cemetery but the cemetery won't let him bring his child in because he doesn't have the correct paperwork and then the cart driver is just like, I'm sorry, I can't take you back. You haven't paid me. I cannot afford. It's a bleak story, but it's a really, really interesting sort of um, uh, story too. The one that is sort of the most highlighted, though, I think of the two is called Black Girl. It was um, uh, Son Ben's first feature film, uh, about an hour long. Um, I have seen lots of... Uh, I've read lots about this film because it's been on my mind ever since I watched it. It's I could understand why some people would give it maybe in the region of four stars, partially because of the technical aspects of it. It's not necessarily the best acting you've ever seen. The audio, the the dialogue doesn't sync up to the lips amazingly well. Um, the cinematography has moments that are brilliant, but in general is kind of you can tell that they didn't have the strongest budget in the world. But for me personally, none of that mattered. I haven't been able to stop thinking about this film. I saw a review that used the phrase um, colonialism doesn't end with independence. And I think that's one thing that Black Girl does um, so well is talk about post-colonialism. Um, it's about a woman who lives in Dakar called Diwana. Um, and she's sort of a, um, uh, I can't remember what the phrase is, but she's basically uh, a domestic servant. She looks after right. children most of the time. Uh, and she basically is looking after this rich French white family's kids, is making decent enough money off of it um, in Dakar. And then as those are sort of flashbacks it's in somewhere like Cannes, I think. It's in southern France. And she has these ideas of what living in France is going to be like. She's going to have this luxurious lifestyle. She's going to see all these famous people. And everyone's, she's going to make everyone very, very jealous and send lots of money back to her mum. But then she becomes a prisoner in this very, very small apartment where she has her employers, who she calls Madame. Um, they basically just the the wife spends most of the time there and the husband spends most of his time working out but she's a prisoner in this apartment and isn't allowed out and they don't pay her um she receives a letter from her mother so they have to read it to her because she can't read and then they just start writing the letter that goes back um and i just think the way it is so gentle and so subtle about the extreme racism that she has to endure is just absolutely uh masterful i think what he does with this film is to me personally at least i don't think it's anything short of absolute brilliance um 
he he is such a strong voice that is dealt with in such a delicate way that I think there's a couple of things that happen towards the end that I won't spoil. I know we said we do a spoiler podcast, but I don't want to spoil this film for you. It's a couple of things that happen towards the end that I think are very, very affecting and don't have that level of subtlety, but make everything that's happened up to this point impact so much harder. Um, I Yeah, I just, I can't praise this film highly enough. I wish it was a little bit longer than 60 minutes, but I imagine the only reason it is that length is that was all the funding they can get for it. It's another one of these films that is, you know, when it when it first came out, it was, it's kind of considered the first sub-Saharan uh, film to get any international acclaim. And Western audiences and Western critics gave it quite a poor reception upon release, I think. Which are probably, this came out in 1966, the, probably the reason why is they didn't want to see themselves in such a negative light. Uh, and they probably yeah. understand what the film was trying to tell them. Uh, but obviously it's well lauded and well uh, praised now. I say I can't praise this film enough. I curse as I could. I think I could understand why some people wouldn't think it is a five star classic. I personally think it does reach that for me, partially just because of what it's saying, what it's doing. And I, I watched this film five six weeks ago, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since. You know, sometimes you've just got to just got to realize that the technicality of a film isn't the only thing that makes a film masterful in my opinion but anyway so no, definitely I not rambled to that but no 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 so i i've basically spoke for the most of this podcast um <laughs> but i think uh, well like you say there you're right technical aspects don't make a film i think at the end of the day films are there to be watched and it's about how you connect to them Maybe on a personal level, but also how the film is trying to connect to its audience in a certain way. And I just, I think that connection is the most important thing, and it should be. And I feel like the fact that you've not stopped thinking about this film for five to six weeks shows how well it has connected. And I yeah. do, like, I did know, like, I, I don't know very much about the director. I know, I knew of Black Girl because uh, I think when I was at university, I had a conversation with one of my professors who, like, he did a part on like sort of african cinema and stuff like that um and he kind of briefly mentioned it once when we were chatting um so i know of it because uh, and like you said it's like one of the first ones to get sort of like national like international acclaim so yeah i've heard of that uh, and i do really want to watch it because you've said so much about it you know that's you know i didn't realize I bought, until i bought podcast. it for you so yes well you could borrow it if you want but it's also on youtube now that's what I was going to say. Is How is it? For everyone out there, go and watch it. If you type in Black Girl 1966. Does, does that mean you can send me the Blu-ray back so I can return it and get my money back? Absolutely fucking not. I couldn't, I couldn't have watched the other film. Uh, and it's great because I, there's lots of stuff uh, on that um, DVD. The lots of extras that I've watched a bunch yeah. of too. But yeah, it's on, it's on YouTube. Um, nice. Yeah. I'll definitely watch it. Yeah, you should. It's. I think it's really great, and I, I don't it, know if you're like um, this much. I know, obviously. I mean, how many times we've we spoken about this, but eventually we will get to doing sort of best film of all time. <laughs> Is it in that short list? Has it made that? Uh, I know, it, not for like literally naming it number one because I'm not going to put that pressure on you. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's number. One. It's number uh, zero. <laughs> Is um, it in that short list of uh, sort of? Top it's films been added to my short list. 
it's been added to my shortlist. I if it right. isn't in the top hundred films of all time, I think it's probably going to be in my hundred and twenty eight when we do the knockout tournament best film podcast. Right. Um, um, I'm looking forward to it even more then. Although I know you're a shit yeah, taste, so I don't trust I, it that much. I, if you don't like it, you're a racist. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that concludes our review show. Yeah, if you disagree with us, please let us know. I mean, our opinions are pretty much set in stone. Like, they're pretty much law once we actually give our opinion. So, you yeah. Really yeah, yeah, that's how, but, that's how it yeah, works. Yeah, um, we no longer have uh, personal ex accounts, uh, but you can follow Real Reviewing on there. Uh, and you can follow us on most of the socials. Phil, do you want to just break down what all the different uh, sort of yeah, handles are and stuff? You're better at this than me. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, they're all real reviewing. You can find us at realreviewing.com. You can find us on uh, Threads. Threads is also real reviewing. And you can find us on um, <laughs> Tumblr and Letterboxd at Reviews from Real. And then you can find me on Letterboxd at Philson Wilson. Um, you can find me at Letterboxd. Corey S. Jordan. I've d- that is the first time I've ever it's remembered your name. that. <laughs> it's your name. How do you not remember? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but thank you for listening and uh, hope to see you in the next one.